Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you today. <clears throat> Think back to the last time you heard that a friend of yours had started a new relationship, new boyfriend, new girlfriend. How did you hear about it? Did a leaflet come under your door? Did someone invite you to hear a presentation about it? Did a friend, did a friend lend you a book that recounted the couple's first kiss? Or did the news reach your ears because someone, even the friend in question, told you about it? Well, the message about Jesus is good news. And good news is shared in many different ways. Evangelism means to share the good news. And being an evangelist is someone who loves to do that. But if you say the word evangelism, most Christians seem to think it's a means of memorising a technique to use on victims, to snare them in and to grab them and fish them in with hooks. But it is most naturally and effectively shared in interpersonal conversations, conversations with one another. And as with that kind of communication, if I was getting to know, asking questions, looking at things from their perspective, and listening to them. Now this conversational evangelism, is quite a big words to say, but it isn't a recent idea, dreamed up by people who don't like preaching. It was Jesus' preferred approach. Yes, he did the big preaching and teaching, but he also did a lot of chatting and getting to know people. And those authentic relationships which we can build up, they involve time and effort and deliberate conversations about Jesus. But the joy, as Brian was so aptly saying, when they come to know him is unbounded. That's why Alpha is so good and why I love to help with Alpha. When you see people coming to know the joy of Jesus, that you know yourself. So when did you last talked to somebody about Jesus, somebody who didn't know him. Yesterday? Last week? A month ago? Five years ago? It's a calling, it's a command of Jesus. So today we're going to look at how he did it, how we can do it, but also looking at ourselves and our own relationship with him. So this is how not to do it. It was Christmas time, time of family, harmony and joy as we all know. And the same brother I've told you about, the academic, who'd heard the whole gospel from little, had even been baptised as a teenager, but not so keen now, or not keen at all really, we'd just watched the Queen's speech where she mentioned faith. And a certain amount of alcohol had been imbibed. And my brother and I started an argument about what the Queen had said about her faith. And me, the keen Christian, very keen evangelist, associate minister, heard myself telling him, of course you believe in Jesus. You heard it all as a child, and surely you believe it now. You can't not. Of course, of course he quite rightly said, just because I heard it as a child doesn't mean I believe it now. Don't be ridiculous. I insisted, and the argument went on from there, with my husband and children in the background going, oh no, stop it. And so we stopped. But I went to apologise a little bit later. One of those apologies, which is, I'm sorry, but... Which isn't an apology at all. And it all started up again. 
I wasn't listening to him. I wasn't being compassionate or even thinking clearly. I was quite enjoying the argument, actually. So I desperately did want him to believe. I desperately did want him to take my viewpoint. My dear dad was sitting there who taught him and prayed for him as a child 60-odd years. And still he doesn't believe. So I did want him, but I wasn't doing it the right way. But it's so, so hard with your own family, isn't it? You could have prayed for your partner. You could have prayed for your children for years, told them the good news, seen them accepted and go away, seen them never accepted, but you've prayed for them for so long. It doesn't always happen, does it? That's because it's our job to sow the seed. It's our job to cast it out there. It's our job to chat about Jesus. It's our job to talk about God. But it's his job. It's his job to bring them in. I often... <clears throat> no, I'll tell you that later. Now, um, <laughs> you'll have noticed from read the reading, we're looking at Jesus and Nicodemus and Jesus and the woman at the well. So you might need your Bibles open because I will jump ahead from what we actually read. But when chatting with my husband, we decided that the woman at the well was a little bit like Elizabeth Taylor, a famous actress who'd been married five or six or seven times. So we decided that the woman at the well was probably, I can call her Beth. And we've got Nico. So we've got Nico and Beth. Let's look at how Jesus did it. Now, I really enjoyed the prep for this sermon at first, and then you get fed up with it. But it's so interesting to see the way Jesus dealt with them both. And the writer John puts, often puts two stories together for you to compare the two, and therefore the truth comes out even more. And that's probably what, um, what happened here. So let's look. Jesus was in conversation with two very different people. How different were they? So think about it. Nico and Beth, tell me the differences. Shout them out as loud as you can. First one. Yes. He was a man. She was the woman. Jesus shouldn't really have been talking to her. Next one. Jewish and Samaritan. Yep, good. Another one. Can you think of any more? Yeah, religious leader and a nobody, educated and uneducated. He was supposedly very goody-goody. She was a sinner. He was honoured. He was in the big high court. He was in the Sanhedrin and the Pharisee, and, the Pharisee, and she was nothing. So she, he had everything going for him. Cream of the crop, Jew of the Jews, best of the best. And she had nothing going for her. She's the bottom of the barrel. An outcast from an outcast people, the worst of the worst. You can get more different if you tried. Let's see the way Jesus spoke to these two. Now, he, he did ask some difficult questions, didn't he? I mean, it wasn't straightforward. It wasn't, so this is our friend, this is how you become a Christian. Jesus is this, this is how you do it. Now you become him and then you get to know the Spirit. He actually was quite um, challenging really made them think. Um, and they answered his metaphorical questions with direct answers. So Nicodemus, he says to Jesus, you can't physically go back into your mother's body to be born again. Don't be ridiculous. And Beth does it twice. How on earth could you get water from the well? You haven't even got a bucket. She says that when Jesus says, I can give you water, you should have asked me. And then when he says, I can give you living water, which means you'll never be thirsty again, her immediate reaction is, well, give me that water so I don't have to keep coming back to the well. 
So we need to make people think sometimes. We really need to make them think. Um, it was a short visit with Nico, just an evening. In the end, it was two days' visit with Beth. Our Christian conversations can be short, or they can go on for a long time. Jesus actually reprimanded Nico. He said, you're Israel's teacher, and you don't understand what I'm saying. But Beth, he actually treated with compassion, and there was no judgment. But in both of these situations, Jesus was not afraid to speak the truth. I often wish I could speak more tough love into the hearts and minds of those I speak to about Jesus. <coughs> I've got that unusual, a bit like Beth and Nico. I've got the mums on Fox Hill, and I've got the legal fraternity, who we don't see in equal measure, but I can find myself talking to a mum down on the downs, and I can talk to a man who thinks he knows everything. Not a woman, obviously. <laughs> but a man who thinks he knows everything. And yet, I leave out those challenging bits. I can talk to them about this and that and the other. I talk to them about Jesus. Often at the end of an evening with the legal fraternity when they've all been, and they don't mind talking. Cause they're, um, but with the mums, during the week, during the day. But I don't do that question, which just gets in there. I hang back a bit. Nico seeks out the truth at night. <clears throat> Jesus seeks Beth out. She came, well, he came to him, Nico went to Jesus at, well, it was probably evening. And for Beth, he kind of was there, and it's happened naturally. Sometimes we intentionally need to go to speak to those who don't know Jesus. Sometimes we can wait, and they'll come to us. Our role, again, is just to tell them. It's his role to bring them in. I've invited my hairdresser for a five times to half an hour, but no, still doesn't really want to know about it. So don't feel guilty if your invite falls on, on deaf ears. <clears throat> Just keep going. We need to get to know the people well we want to talk to about Jesus. We need to build up that relationship. With Jesus, um, he started with Nico on spiritual things. He immediately went straight into that kind of highfalutin spiritual stuff. With Beth, he started with, do you want a drink of water or can you get me a drink of water? Two very, very different things. So we need to get to know the people we're talking to. Um, now, right at the end of both conversations, who became a follower of Jesus? Now, John puts these two stories together in the gospel because his Jewish audience would have expected it to be Nico. But it's not surprising me, it's the woman at the well. Nico even fades out of the conversation. He says quite a bit, then less, then less. And that could have been very disappointing for Jesus. But Jesus didn't push him to pray the prayer, or come to the front in the big rally, or persuade him to come to Alpha, or come to the synagogue next week, I'll be preaching on X. He just <clears throat> left it. He'd fed in the big truths and was considerate enough to Nico to leave him to think about things. Do we realise we can do that too? We don't need that success. I, used to, I remember talking for hours in the night as a student to convert somebody, to bring them to Jesus, to get a scalp, to be a success. And that's not what it's about. It's about us in ourselves 
being who we are in Jesus and just letting things happen, push things out there when necessary, but leave him to do the rest. Don't be disappointed if those things don't happen. There's many steps to a person becoming a Christian. You imagine one to ten, and sometimes you might move them from three to four. You might give them a book that moves them from one to two. It's sometimes quite a long journey, but it does usually start with prayer. I had a friend who was christened, but never went to church as a child. She didn't really know her godparents, hardly ever saw them. But age 20, she met a Christian chap, came to Jesus through him. All he's doing, you might think. But when her godmother heard about it, she wrote to her and told her how she prayed for her to come to Jesus every day for the last 20 years. We find that hard in our quick fix generation. We want it now. But Jesus was content to chat and leave it. And we must be content with that too sometimes. But did Nico become a convert? Did he become a follower of Jesus? He did eventually. He did. He stood up for Jesus just before the crucifixion when Jesus was in front of the Sanhedrin. And he bought 75 pounds of spices, enough for a barrel of a king to wrap Jesus' body in before, after he died. And he helped Joseph to do that. So it's accepted that Nico did become a Christian, but eventually. So that's good hope for us, isn't it? For those you prayed for for years and they haven't, don't seem to have moved. Some even go backwards. A friend of mine, <coughs> she's chatted to her about Jesus for a long time. Her son got terrible leukemia in Australia recently. I thought, that'll do it. This will do it. We were all praying. I was texting her my prayers. I gave her a wooden cross to hold as she went out there. It's actually moved her further away. (laughs) Amazing. He's become better, but she's still not keen. But we have to keep going. have to keep going. And let's look how it happens with Beth. Completely the opposite. You couldn't be more excited about Jesus than she was. This woman who was afraid to be at the well because people didn't want to talk to her. She was afraid to be at the well at the right time of day because she didn't want the other women to see her. She was the one who rushes off to the village and says, come on, come on, see this man who's told me everything I've ever known. Could he be the saviour? And then she brings her whole village back. And in the end, the whole village gets to know about Jesus. We know that this man really is the saviour of the world, say the people in her village, from that conversation with Jesus and him going to chat to them later. And Jesus too is excited at Beth's response. The first time a Gentile really responded positively to the gospel. In verse 34, he tells his disciples to jolly well open their eyes, look to the fields because they're ripe for harvest. I want you two now to look at the fields that surround your life. They too are ripe for harvest. They're ripe for questions. They're ripe for building up relationships that gradually bring people to Jesus. We don't know who'll believe. We don't know who will respond. But it's not really our job to make them respond. It's our job to sow that seed, to get it out there. We must take time to understand the doubts and questions they wrestle with. We must treat them with respect. We must make sure we're not in a holy huddle all the time. We must make sure we're out there, 
helping with the first field committee or being with uniformed organisations or getting to know a neighbour or helping with toddlers or chatting to those people at the coffee place at work. There are some things we need to do and we can do them, but the most important thing is that we display Christ's love. Look at your relationship now with Jesus. We've looked at how we can build them up with others. Just think of your own relationship now with Jesus. Are we not speaking out Jesus because our own relationship with him is not exciting enough? Are we feeling Jesus' love enough at the moment? What's your relationship like with him? Somebody reminded me at the first service, if you've got that anointing, if you're spending time with Jesus, if you're with him and Jesus is with you, then when you do go and talk to them or you do go and talk to them, then Jesus is there too. And Jesus will do the stuff that needs doing, not us. We just have to be prepared to ask those questions, start the conversation. Jesus will do the rest. So have you got the anointing of Jesus? Are you spending enough time with him at the moment? Display his love, declare his truth, just like Jesus did. Tell your own story. Be passionate about those around you. Don't worry about who you speak to. Build your relationship. Communicate the good news. So can I challenge you, just like we had a challenge last week. When did you last speak to someone about Jesus? Let's make it this month. We are disciples, followers of this rabbi Jesus. We walk in his dust, as Nick said last week. Let's live a life that shows that love to others. Let's choose one person to identify with, pray for, build a relationship with, and have those conversations with. Show them you love them for who they are. Show them, show them who they can become in Jesus. Sometimes you might say, well, I'm, it's too hard for me at the moment. I'm having such a bad time. But you know, like we just said, like Gavin said, that's a great time to talk to them about Jesus because you can share what Jesus, how Jesus is helping you in your bad time. And that makes such a bigger effect on them. So let's pray.